0: Uh, Would you stand with me and let's read somewhat lengthy but very interesting passage from uh, John chapter 11 On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. lord if you had been here my brother would not have died when jesus saw her weeping and the jews who had come along with her also weeping he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled where have you laid him he asked come and see lord they replied jesus wept then the jews said see how he loved him but some of them said could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his feet and hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life that's in your word. And I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit here today. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand and that we would receive the life that you want to give to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It's difficult to read a long passage on the microphone and not mess something up. But uh you know when you, when you're out there you can just kind of mumble along but uh <clears throat> anyway Lazarus was dear to Jesus uh make no mistake about that uh, earlier in this chapter in verse 3 the sisters sent to Jesus to to uh inform him of the situation and they didn't send words saying Lazarus is sick they sent words saying Lord the one you love is sick and Jesus spent two days where he was the last time he had been in Judea which uh, was back in chapter 10 the uh, situation had ended up with the Jews trying to stone him and Jesus had left and the disciples are very glad that he had left they left with him and uh, and so after two days, after Jesus knowing that Lazarus had been dead, Jesus knew what had happened, and, uh, and he said, let's go back to Judea. And the disciples said, Lord, the last time you were there, they tried to stone you, and you're going back there? Yes, he was going back there. He's going back there because his father had told him to, but he was also going back there because Lazarus mattered to him. La- Lazarus was, was very dear to him. In fact, in the passage that we read today, Everybody, everybody's favorite memory verse, Jesus wept, right? And it's followed up by the, the people who were there looking at the situation and saying, see how much he loved him. And so Jesus cared. The favor of the Lord is, uh, is a wonderful thing to have. And uh, oftentimes we hear about it and uh, people will say, "Well, that person has the favor of the Lord," or "That is the favor of the Lord." And yes, indeed, I I, I feel like I walk in that a lot—unmerited favor. Uh, my grandfather, as many of you know, was a was a pastor. My my dad was a was a was a pastor, a bivocational vocational pastor, basically his whole life. And you know, and I, and I feel like I'm reaping a lot of the benefits of what they sowed, <laughs> because I know that I don't deserve the things that are in my life and I say that's the favor of the Lord it's a wonderful thing but it always it doesn't always look like what we think it should look like when it when it comes along Abraham uh, and Lot decided to separate and Abraham told Lot, you choose which way you want to go, and I'll go the other way. And Lot looked, and he saw the well-watered plains of the Jordan, and he saw how beautiful and lush it was down there. So he said, well, I'll go that way, and so Abraham, you get all these rocks over here. And it looked like Lot was getting the best of the deal, but Abraham had the favor of the Lord upon him, even as that selection was being made, because those well-watered plains down there were where the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were. Joseph clearly had the favor of the Lord upon him, even when he was being sold in slavery into into Egypt, even when he was being unjustly imprisoned, the favor of the Lord still rested on this young man. And later on in his life, he was able to say, you know, you meant this for my harm. And uh, a lot of the things that have happened to me, people meant for my harm, but God meant it so that I could save a lot of people's lives. It's favor of the Lord. David had the favor of the Lord on him while he was running for his life from Saul and trying to be killed by the one who should be defending him by his by his king and need I even mention job who really was God's favorite you get right down to it you may say, well well you're talking about Old Testament guys that was before you know that was before the Holy Spirit that was before the cross that was before uh, all this grace was poured out upon us. You ever heard of Paul? He wrote some books in the New Testament. He wrote 13. He, he may have written 14, just failed to sign one of them. But, but he wrote at least 13 of them. And Paul had the favor of the Lord upon his life. During, the, during which time, he said, five times I got the 39 lashes from the Jews. So three times I was beaten with rods, and three times I was shipwrecked, and I spent a night and a day in the open sea. And once I was even stoned. They thought I was dead. Maybe he was dead. The favor of the Lord was on him. And John, when he wrote this book, well, when he wrote this book, he was He was out of prison, but when he wrote the book of Revelation, he wasn't on a vacation in the Mediterranean. He was was being uh, exiled to a, a rocky island called Patmos, and that's where he wrote it from. But the favor of the Lord was upon him. And so the favor of the Lord doesn't always look like what we think it looks like. It's all good. It's all good. Not because it's all fun. Or not because it's all easy, but because the Bible says that in everything God works for the good of those who love him. And who are called according to his purpose. But the consensus in this situation was, Lord, if you had only been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. If, If you had been here, he would still be alive. Martha said it. Mary said it. The Jews as much as said it because they said, couldn't this man, if he had gotten here in time, the one who opened the eyes of the blind, couldn't he have kept this man from dying? Jesus wasn't physically present. But he was surely present mentally and spiritually there. And sometimes that's, uh, that's more important. Have you ever had a conversation with someone who wasn't really there. And I'm not talking about, you know, uh, physically they were there, but I mean, someone had a conversation with someone who has this, this sort of vacant look in their eyes while you're kind of talking to them. And you know, you know they're not hearing anything that you're saying whatsoever. Uh, in fact, you might even be married to someone. And uh, on, on occasion, you've had the opportunity to say, I told you about that somebody either has a faulty memory or somebody wasn't listening but we love each other and we stay together their body was there but there wasn't and if so you know that being physically present can be important but it isn't it isn't everything Jesus knew when Lazarus died He waited until Lazarus died and and he said to his disciples he said uh, We're you know, let's go back to Judea and they said lord. You don't want to go back there They tried to stone you he said well Lazarus has fallen asleep and i'm going back to wake him up now The disciples, you know, it says that they didn't understand what he was talking about I most of them probably didn't some of them I think were sharp enough to pick up on it But they said lord if he sleeps he will get better Now, apparently, it was about a four-day trip to get back there. Uh, I don't think they thought he was going to sleep for four days. And Jesus said, Lazarus is dead. How do you know that? If he wasn't there, well, his mind was there. His heart was there. His spiritual connection with what was going on. Because he knew what he was going to go do. And if you knew, you know, if, if you knew... Hey, I'm going to go raise somebody from the dead. You might be thinking about it before you actually get there. And beyond that, he knew what he was going to do a week later, which was go to the cross. You better believe he was there emotionally and spiritually and and mentally. And so just because we don't feel his presence, doesn't it all mean that he's not there? Just because we don't perceive him being there doesn't mean that he's not there. I, I have a friend who leads worship at a, uh, a church over in Hermitage, and it's a, a particular denomination that is not necessarily known for its vigorous worship, shall we say? And, and they and they brought him in to kind of do a, a, an alternative service and he's been doing that for a couple of years and 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 you know I was talking to him this last week and he was a little bit discouraged he was kind of going you know uh I'm just not sure and and he said it doesn't help that I've got this other friend who's telling me boy you're definitely in the wrong place you just you need to be at a church where they where they uh where they actually worship God Yeah, and I was saying, uh, and so really what your friend is telling you is you need to be in a place that's more emotional than the place where you are now. He said, yeah, that's what he's saying. I'm going, and you you think that means that's the same thing as God's presence? Because it's not. Now, I believe in worshiping emotionally, and if you ever look down here on Sunday morning, you know, down here in this little corner, uh, it may look funky, and you may be wanting to look the other way, but but i'm 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 engaged i'm in, i'm involved because that's that's who i am that's that's how i'm wired but i i know that god's presence comes in a whole bunch of different packages in a whole bunch of different ways my uh, my wife margaret was was brought up presbyterian and i was brought up to think that presbyterians were just not quite there You you know, uh, we we would use derogatory. I would hear derogatory terms like "frozen," "chosen," and you know, and things things of that nature. Uh, And but see, I'd never actually met a living, breathing Presbyterian, much less a beautiful one who could kiss like Margaret could. And uh, but you know, after we got married, I, I discovered that her that her parents, her dad in particular, who I am positive has never spoken the word hallelujah above 15 decibels in his entire life <laughs> it's one of the most godly men i had ever encountered i mean this man jesus just the way he handles situations the way he, the way he handles people and 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 the gentleness and the love that's there and it's rooted in the word which he reads every day i'm going how can this be You've been in, how can you've met God? You've been in a Presbyterian church your whole life. And yet, clearly he had. So it's just because we don't feel necessarily that his presence is there, doesn't mean he's not there. Doesn't doesn't mean that his presence is, is very real. And just because he is there, doesn't mean that we always know what it is he wants to do. I'm hungry. So he must want me to turn these stones into bread. Right? Not necessarily. That might look like a good answer, that might look like might might make sense, but it might not be what he wants done. The very reason that Jesus wasn't there physically well, so he would not, well, one of the reasons was so he would not be forced, as if he really could be forced, but so that he would not be forced into healing Lazarus. I mean, if Jesus had actually been there, who would have stood for him doing nothing? It was the raising of Lazarus that created such a, such a buzz that there was this huge crowd that came out to see him when he entered Jerusalem on uh, on the next first day of the week in fact that's what it says over in John chapter 12 verse 9 many people because they heard about the miracle that he did with Lazarus came out to see him had Lazarus been healed we would have never heard I am the resurrection and the life Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And if anyone lives and believes in me, then he will will never die. Do you believe this? And how impoverished would we be if we had never heard that? Over in in the book of John, well, first of all, let me just say, God revealed himself to Moses at uh, at the burning bush. And... Um, and Moses asked his name and God actually gave him two answers. One of the answers that he gave him was, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, which Jesus used later on to prove the resurrection to the, to the Sadducees by saying, he's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Everyone's alive to him. But the other name that he gave him was, I am that I am meaning I don't change. I'm that one fixed point in the universe that is unchanging, that never moves. Everything else in the universe is in flux. Everything else moves. Everything that you see is, is, is made up of these, these uh, atoms, and atoms have you know, these little bitty things in the center of them called nucleuses and then they got these they got these uh electrons flying around the outside of everything's constantly moving and everything's constantly changing you're constantly changing if you've been here any length of time you've heard me uh say this before but i'll spend a while so i'll say it again uh and things have changed since then but uh you're 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 older now than you were when i started this sentence Uh, your, your temperature changes. Your, your, the length of your hair changes. The color of your hair changes. Or at least the roots. Yeah. Everything that you see, everything, you know, this looks solid and this looks real, but it's made up of those atoms that are constantly moving. And in fact, the biggest thing that is contained in atoms are, is, is our what? How do you, what, space, emptiness. But God doesn't change. He is I am. And that was very important. And Jesus, seven times in John's gospel, Jesus makes striking, overt, I am statements. Now, you know, oftentimes he would say, and others would say, well, I'm going to do this, or I'm going there. But there there were seven times that he made statements that, It wasn't your regular I am kind of thing. Over in John chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. But here's bread that comes down from heaven and and you may eat of it and never die. And I'm that bread. I am that bread. John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And what an incredible promise that is. But we'll have the light of life. Last week, uh, Bruce shared from John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one who takes care of you. Whenever you read the psalmist saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, not be in need. He makes me lie down in green path. I'm who he was talking about. I am who he was talking about. John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 15, I am the true vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing because I am the vine. And probably the most striking one, quite frankly, was also in John chapter 8, toward the end, they were talking about Abraham, and they were, and he said, before Abraham was born, I am, period. You know, I, I got a feeling that a lot of people were kind of thinking, that sounds a lot like blasphemy. And if he wasn't God, it would be. And then, of course, what we read today, I am the resurrection and the life. Well, what does that mean? I mean, he is the, the resurrection. We know he's going, he is resurrected. He's going to be resurrected, but he is the resurrection. Well, I, I, I don't know. There's, it's a mystery. And in fact, it's okay for there to be some mystery there. Over in John 1, 4, it says, "In him was life, and that life was the light of men. What does that mean? Well, I, I don't know. It's, it's deep. It's a mystery. But it sounds wonderful. Which is also one of his names. Wonderful. And let me just say this, though, about resurrection. He is the resurrection and the life and This may seem like a a real bunny trail, but in the the climate in which we live, even within the church, it's a bunny trail I need to take for just a minute. The Bible teaches resurrection, not reincarnation. Uh, Reincarnation, you say, well, everybody knows that. No, no, they don't. In fact, there are people among us right now. (laughs) who don't know that there's 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 a big difference because it the 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 language of reincarnation has kind of weaved itself into the conversation of our culture yeah and so we have a tendency to just kind of flip out and go well you know in another life i must have been something yeah i must have eaten cheese i don't know yeah i must have been a cow i like cheese so much you must have been a cow in another life Yeah, So we just kind of say things like that and just kind of flip it out there. And uh, reincarnation is is needed to to validate a a concept called karma. And the Bible doesn't teach karma. It teaches grace. And karma is the idea that what happens to you and who you are is the result of what you deserve. Of what you earned or what you, uh, for good or for bad in a previous life get right down to it now it, the bible does teach that that our, that our actions do have consequences uh, luke six twenty eight: with the measure that you use it will be measured to you you know, if you're if you're uh if you're hard-nosed and mean then you might find some hard-nosed and meanness in this world if you're gracious and generous you'll probably find some grace and, and generosity in 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 your life and um, to the pure all things are pure to those who are defiled everything is defiled and, and that's true you know I mean if you if your life is this uh, if defilement is the way that you lean in your life then you can look at most anything and you'll see something that's defiling there But if your thoughts and your life leans toward the things that are pure, you can look at exactly the same thing and you'll see God's presence and grace and goodness there. So, you know, our actions do affect things, but the Bible doesn't teach karma. Matthew 5, 45 says, he makes his sun to shine on the evil and on the good. He sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. This is life in a fallen world, people. And it's only the presence of God's grace that makes it livable for those who love him and those who don't love him, for those who follow him and those who don't follow him, because he's that gracious and he's that good. And so it's not about karma. Jesus, uh, over in Luke chapter 13, uh, he was being told about some people that Pilate had killed them and he had mixed their blood with sacrifices to pagan gods and oh isn't that terrible and Jesus said do you think these Galatians are worse sinners than all the uh, all all these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way because that happened to them no he said I tell you the the, the truth unless you repent you're going to perish too are the, the people who were over in the Uh, who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. There were 18 people. They died, apparently the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all of the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, they weren't. And so we have this tendency to look at at something that happens to somebody and go, oh, they must have, Uh uh-uh. It's not what the Bible says. So we should be careful in saying such things as, well, in another life or or, or things like that. Hebrews 9.27 says that people are destined to die once. And after that, they face judgment. And you need to know that because there's only one resurrection. And he is also the life. He's not the reincarnation is the resurrection. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. We've uh, experienced within the last month a couple of, of uh, blows, I guess, losses to our body here Um you know, Josh, uh, Josh Osborne and uh, and Thomas Price and both of them young, young men. And uh, both of them uh, very special uh, people who, uh, who really impacted the lives of those who knew them. And so this is kind of this is kind of fresh for us at this point. Uh, but we need to understand what Jesus is talking about here, because. Uh, We need to understand what death actually is, because death, in reality, death is nothing more than separation. That's all it is. In biological death, we're biologically separated. But we still hold the departed in in our hearts and in our minds. You know, I, I can't reach out and touch Josh. I can't dance with him anymore. But i he's here he's here I, I haven't lost him in that regard and in some ways he's actually fresher in both of those places than he was when he was physically here and I was sometimes I guess kind of taking him for granted and for sure same thing same thing with with Thomas real death Though what Jesus is talking about here is what Revelations calls a second death. Uh, Revelation uh, 24, 14 says, calls it the lake of fire and, it's, and it's, separation, it's separation from God and that's the real terror of death. Because you see, God is light and God is love and God is, is, is joy and, and He's where we belong. He, he created us. You, you, ever, you ever walked into a, a situation, uh, uh, maybe, I don't, I don't know, you know, a school, uh, a job, a church, you know, or, or somebody's house. You ever walked in and just immediately felt like, oh, huh, yeah, this is, and then, you know, and then there are other places that you walk into and you kind of feel like, ooh. I mean, has that ever happened to anybody here? Besides me, you're all human beings, right? Yeah, (laughs) of course it has. The ultimate place where we belong is in his presence. That's what he created us for. That's That's where we're supposed to be. And death is total separation from that. And whatever the lake of fire is, it is this. It is the ultimate ooh, this doesn't feel like where I'm supposed to be. And that's the, that's, that's the terror of death. If, if, God is, if God is love, there's no love there. If God is light, there's no light there. If, if God is joy, there's no joy there. If God is, 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 is fellowship, where I belong, then there's nothing but isolation and loneliness there. And Jesus is saying that this separation, this second death will never happen to the one who believes in him. One may depart biologically as Lazarus had just done, but Revelation 20 verse 6 says, the second death has no power over those who share in the resurrection. And who is the resurrection and the life? It's Jesus. Jesus. Do you believe this? That's how he closed that up. As important as all these other words are that Jesus had spoken, real issue boils down to the question, do you believe this? I, well, you know, I don't know. I need, I need proof. Oh, come on. What proof do you have that there is no God? None. And in fact, you have proof. You just ignore it. Romans 1.20 says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. There's a reason why it's called faith. But But you can have faith in this world's And it's system and your faith will lead you to death. Or you can have faith in God and your faith will lead you to life. And so Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? Raising people from the dead. Prior to the the cross, prior to the resurrection, it happened six times in scripture. Elijah. Elijah raised the uh, widow of Zarephath's son from the dead. But he'd only been dead for a short time. He'd only been dead, I don't know, we, we don't know, but it, it was a very short time. Uh, as soon as he died, his mom said to Elijah, who was living with them, you know, have you come to remind me of my sins? I'm sure this has happened because of bad stuff I've done. Well, we heard about that before. And uh, Elijah went and raised him from the dead. Elisha raised uh, the uh shunammite woman's son from the dead but he'd only been dead a short time he uh he was out in the field with his father he said oh my head hurts uh he's sent her sent the son to his mom and he died in her arms and she immediately got up and went to elisha to say i didn't ask you for a son and but god gave me this son and now he's dead and and I've got all this grief. And Elisha went and raised him. So it happened, happened within a few hours. And then after Elisha died, a, a man was, uh, was being buried. And the people that were burying him saw some raiders coming. And they threw him into Elisha's tomb and took off. And as soon as he touched Elisha's bones, he, he came to life. Well, obviously he hadn't been dead long because they buried people pretty quick <laughs> in those days. Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, but she'd only been dead a short time. Jesus was on his way to their house when uh, when news came that, hey, she's dead. He said, don't worry about it. Yeah, got there, raised her from the dead. Uh, The widow of Nain's son, he was on his, they were taking him to be buried. And Jesus stopped the funeral procession and raised him from the dead. He had only been dead for a short time. And a reason that I say that is, you know, you can kind of look at that and go, well, were these people really dead? I mean, seriously. I mean, you, you, know, you, you know where the term dead ringer comes from, right? C- comes from the fact that, that even as late as like the 19th century, sometimes they would bury people who weren't actually dead yet. So they had they had uh, they had this method whereby they would actually bury them with a with a, a rope down to to their casket, and a bell on the other end. And so if you heard, ding ding ding, <laughs> and uh, yeah, dead ringer, yeah. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. He smelled. He was dead. Jesus said, but if you believe. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. John's gospel would have been circulated at a time when some eyewitnesses, and most certainly first generation children of eyewitnesses, and I'm sure if I had seen that, I'd be telling my kids about it, We're still alive been dead for four days I believe that Jesus looked up to his father and said father I thank you that you have heard me I knew that you always hear me I'm just saying this so that those here will know that you sent me and then he called out in a loud voice Lazarus come out And I believe that the dead man came out and Jesus said, take those grave clothes off of him. Set him free. Six times in the gospel, gospels, Jesus makes this point. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Sometimes we just have to trust That he's there and that he loves us. And while there is a time to hold on, there's a time to let go. Before I came to the Lord back in the early 70s, I heard a song that uh, just, I wasn't walking with the Lord, didn't want to have anything to do with the Lord, but it resonated so deeply. Uh, A guy named Edgar Winter had written it. And uh, it's called Dying to Live. And I don't know, this guy must have had some spiritual insight at some point in time. Because uh, the chorus, you know, it was really an atheist nightmare. Uh, it, it, uh, it said, uh, Why am I fighting to live If I'm just living to fight? And Why am I trying to see if there ain't nothing in sight why am I trying to give no one gives me a try why am I dying to live if I'm just living to die and it kind of haunted me (laughs) but then when I came to the Lord it Really, it really resonated in me because he resolved it. I mean, he, he got there. He didn't get there quite the right way, but he got there toward the end. Uh, and the last verse, he, he closed out the chorus with, So I'll keep fighting to live till there's no reason to fight. And I'll keep trying to see until the end is in sight. You know, I'm trying to give, so come on, give me a try. You know, I'm dying to live until I'm ready to die. And I thought, you know, that that's close. But I got to change some of those words. Because now that I knew the Lord, you see, I wanted I wanted to change the second line. Uh, and, and instead of saying, until the end is inside," and change that to "Eternity is inside." But the last line was the one that had to be changed. You know I'm dying to live, and I ain't going to die. Because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. If anyone believes in him, even though they die, they will live. And if anyone lives and believes in him, they ain't going to die. Do you believe this? Would you stand with me? It's the word of God, people. (laughs) Let it be life to you. Well, those who are going to pray with folks, uh, come forward. And if you're here today and you need prayer, uh, and especially if you're here and you don't know Christ, especially if you're here and... Because and, I, I sat through so many services just kind of going, when is this going to end and when are they going to quit talking about that stuff? And I can get out of here. I know how that feels. And especially when the Holy Ghost is kind of just doing this thing inside of you. And you're just kind of going, quit that. It's just because he loves you. It's just because he, he, it's just because he's wooing you. He, he's not trying to mess your life up. He's trying to sh- make your life what he wants it to be and you want it to be. So if you don't know Christ... We invite you to come and meet him today. And, you know, if you do know Christ, but you need prayer for something, because, hey, this was a hard week. I know it was a hard week for a number of people in this fellowship. And in fact, I I came in Saturday kind of going, this is a rough week. Come, be prayed for. He's here, he loves you. It's all good, but you need need the touch of a Christian's hand. Agree with you about some stuff. Take some stuff to God. If you don't need to come, let's worship together for a few moments. We'll create an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to work for, for those who do need to come.
1: I must decrease so He can increase. That's how it's meant to be. Before Him now, declaring Him holy, for He alone is worthy, worthy to be praised. He alone is righteous. very good God
0: God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who sent His Son into the world to bring light and life to be the resurrection may your faith in Him be strong and may the joy that flows from that faith be infectious to those around you through Jesus Christ our Lord